0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty, ever-living God, grant that we may always conform our will to yours and serve your majesty in sincerity of heart. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. On Friday, I spoke about perfection, the call to holiness. I'm called to live in such a relationship with God that my life produces a yearning for him in the lives of others, not simply admiration for myself, which of course may occur anyway. Yesterday morning, I spoke about courage and and encouraged each of us to develop habits that will prepare us to be courageous, to do what is difficult, what we might fear or we just don't want to do, even though we know we should. Yesterday afternoon, I spoke about hope. And I encouraged us to pray to receive the virtue of hope. Pray to have certainty of God's presence in every moment and in every place, confidence in his infinite love for each of us, and of his offering To each of us all that we need in order to live the life with which we have been gifted last night I spoke about preparing to evangelize so a little bit on the nature of our society the nature of evangelization the nature of being missionaries today and how it's perhaps different but the same as it has been in the past. And today, we are going to talk about, more specifically, how to live this life. In the little message announcing this retreat, I had uh, written that whatever is unsettling us, whatever decisions and questions we face, the answer remains the same a more attentive listening to God, a virtuous life, a life of holiness and of hope. And so we're called to evangelize, to show forth the life of Christ that we want to be living. And last night we, we touched a bit on the challenge. We have these sort of two extremes, even within our church and in in the approach to the world one extreme is baptize them or they will be damned and i don't want to trivialize that too much i mean think i i I, certainly in my family there are babies and now not so much babies that haven't been baptized and i'm really disappointed you know Um, as maybe is the case with many of your families my immediate family we are all practicing catholics But the next generation, not so much, right? Not so much. So there's that extreme, baptize them or they'll be damned, got to go out, got to move, go to other countries. And then there's this other extreme, which is God loves everyone, don't judge, God is forgiving, right? He's a loving God, and he'll take care of everybody no matter what they do, right? In a way, you could say there's no such thing as a a mortal sin. Nobody is going to be crushed by a loving God. So, our response, I think, I I didn't say I think, I'm confident, I think this, our response is yes, there is an urgency. (laughs) Yes, people can forfeit eternal life, eternal happiness. And so, there is some urgency and pressure on me, as there should be to ask myself, what am I doing to lead them to God? What am I doing to be a light on, on a hill? What am I doing to love? If also to have a steel backbone when it's called for, right? A steel backbone when it's called for, to be manly as my brother suggested I offer to you for this retreat. To love but also to have a steel backbone when it is called for. So how to live such a life? A pluralistic society provides a bit of a challenge. We look out at our friends, co-workers, neighbors. Some of them are believers. Some of them are not. Some of them are lukewarm Catholics. Some of them are not. Some of them are committed secularists or even atheists. And we look at them, and they say they, they, they're good people. They seem to be fine. right? Who am I to say that my way of life, my religious belief, is better? In fact, I seem to suffer more than they do. <laughs> you know? I seem to suffer more than they do. What's, what do I do about that? Right? Am I crazy? How do I think about that? So my first suggestion is that the answer remains the same. Live better, love better, live a life of holiness, a life of virtue, a life of hope. Recognize that this life of holiness and hope is not simply for you alone but to shine so that others may see not simply that you are wonderful, which of course you are, but that, the, that God has a plan for them as well, a plan of peace, holiness, hope, abiding happiness. So, so maybe at the moment you appear to be suffering more than they do, but I'd like to think that when you encounter tragedies that they too encounter, they will look at you and say, wow, they, you handled that differently. You, you had some abiding hope Whereas I, I don't have that at all. Or when you grow and you become elderly and you, you, you're, you're um, in a nursing home or wherever you are, right? you handle that in a way that sort of strikes them. Wow, that's impressive. So it's, we don't always see everything. We get impressions of people's lives and we think that it's, everything's great. Even in this room, we could look at one another and we can imagine what, what is his life like, what is his marriage like, and we really don't have a clue. For the most part, right? We really don't. So there is something about my exhortation for you that is uh, self-centered. What I mean by that is you can take care of your spiritual life. You can take care of your prayer life. You can take care and, and um, live the truth, encounter the truth, live the truth, whatever is happening out there. I thought it would be good to reflect a little bit on G.K. Chesterton. As many of you know, uh, an English writer, early um, this century, or rather last century, I was, uh, I'm always struck to realize how young he was when he died. Does anybody know how young G.K. Chesterton was when he died? 62. Does anybody know when he became a Catholic? The age of 48, the age of 48. And so he in very prolific, 80 books or so, um, converted in 1922, died in 1936. So he, th- what I want to highlight here is the compelling nature of what the church teaches. More, it seems, more than any other church, more than any other religion in the world, People want to squelch Catholicism. Keep it away. You know? Amy Coney Barrett is a huge threat, right? Here this attractive mother of seven is a great threat, right? And I'd like to suggest that she's a threat because she knows, because underneath it all, people know there's something to that religion. So one of the things that Chesterton said is that <clears throat> it's impossible to be just to the Catholic Church. The moment men cease to pull against it, they feel a tug toward it. The moment they cease to shut it down, they begin to listen to it with pleasure. The moment they try to be fair to it, they begin to be fond of it. He's actually describing himself. (laughs) Chesterton encountered a church that is larger on the inside than it is on the outside. Larger on the inside than it is on the outside. The difficulty, he said, of explaining why I'm a Catholic is that there are 10,000 reasons, all amounting to one reason. Catholicism is true. I could fill all my space with separate sentences, each beginning with the words, it's the only thing that, it's the only thing that, and he says, for instance, it's the only thing that frees a man from the degrading slavery of being a child of his age. The degrading slavery of being a child of his age. I I spoke yesterday about the fact that we can have technological advances that build upon things that have been going on for centuries and yet human freedom is new every day, right? The human freedom is new every day. But we have 2000 year history of the church reflecting on human life and human behavior and choices. So there's a wisdom to be brought to bear so that we don't become a child of this age. You could say, you're talking about that again? Look what that did 50 years ago. You're talking about that again? Look at what that did five centuries ago. We have that that, uh, wisdom there. I think one of the real tragedies of our time is that too many Catholics aren't aware of that wisdom aren't aware of that beauty, that wisdom that's there that could serve society and serve the world. Another thing he says, it's the only thing that talks as if it were the truth, as if it were a real messenger refusing to tamper with a real message. Our culture, in a particular way, doesn't want to hear from people who claim that what they're saying is true. Oddly, they're very dogmatic about that. Can't have that, right? Can't, can't make those truth claims. You know, they didn't quite say it, but you can imagine in the hearings, as far as I know they didn't say it um, to Amy Coney Barrett, do you really believe contraception is wrong? Are you crazy? You, know, you can imagine that that's going through their minds. Who is this crazy person making that claim? And he goes on, nine out of ten of what we call new ideas are simply old mistakes. The Catholic Church has for one of her chief duties that of preventing people from making those old mistakes, from making them over and over again forever, as people always do if they are left to themselves. There is no other one continuous intelligent institution that has been thinking about thinking for 2,000 years. Its experience naturally covers nearly all experiences and especially nearly all errors. The result is a map in which all the blind alleys and bad roads are clearly marked, all the ways that have been shown to be worthless by the best of all evidence, the evidence of those who have gone down them. But the church does definitely take the responsibility of marking certain roads as leading nowhere or leading to destruction, to a blank wall or a sheer precipice. By this means, it does prevent men from wasting their time or losing their lives upon paths that have been found futile or disastrous again and again in the past, but which make otherwise, which might otherwise entrap travelers again and again in the future. The Church does make herself responsible for warning her people against these, and upon these the real issue of the case depends. She does dogmatically defend humanity from its worst foes, those hoary and horrible and devouring monsters of the old mistakes. And um, two things uh, come to mind. One, a a criticism of uh, of one stance that I think the church takes in relation to society, which is, well, we're one voice among many. On the one hand, that's true. Sure, there are other voices, but on the other hand, we have a treasure here that is unlike any of those other voices. And I think there's, there's a, a, a loss of confidence in that among many Catholics. I don't mean that any particular Catholic has that treasure or knows that treasure, many don't. But the Catholic Church is that treasure. It's not one voice among many, it does. Speak with authority. It's like that. It's like the, uh, what caught people's attention with Christ. He, he's talking as if he's got authority. <laughs> he's got authority over everything. This is scary, right? But the other thing that, that comes to mind is uh, I remember reading uh, something by an atheist, just a little comment he made. He said, You know, my friends and I <clears throat> who are not believers would not dream of going to Europe without visiting the churches, the beautiful churches, right? So the beauty that's available, uh, that, that has been created over these centuries, that, that ev- everybody notices, right? Everybody notices. And there's other forms of beauty. Those who, who have eyes to see, perhaps they, they, they really, they recognize Mother Teresa as somebody to be admired, right? Who, Um, and who who really laid down her life for those who were destitute and and dying. So Chesterton found the enduring truth, the exhilarating goodness, and the ineffable beauty of the Catholic Church. And he found it by being fair to it. I think this is partly why many in our society do not want to be fair to the Catholic Church. They do not want to be fair to you and to me. They want you to be quiet. They want me to be quiet. So some some specific thoughts on how to live this, and some questions along the way. How do I live with deep disappointment, either self-caused or caused by others? I have a friend who built his whole career toward a particular position, particular job, and he was uh, all set to receive that, that job. And he was knocked off, basically, for being Catholic. It doesn't look like it's ever going to come around. Now, by the grace of God, his response, although it didn't happen overnight, <laughs> his response has been, maybe what needed to happen here was for my children to see how I handle this deep disappointment. Maybe that's what need, needed to happen. Right. Now, there's an element of this is the end of the world. There's an element of this. I, my heart goes out to him, to his family but that's a beautiful thing to be able to say that and and it could be that that's what will have his children remain in the faith it's far more important than the position or at least in God's we don't know in God's plan but certainly that for me is a model second thought Wallowing in our failings does not help us to take care of the wife or the child in front of us. We've got, we have got we all could spend the day listing how we have failed. I think men, women too, we're all, we're all able to do that easily. We can wallow in our failings. It doesn't help us take care of the person in front of us. It doesn't help us to take care of the child, or the family, or the neighbor, while we wallow in that. I don't mean, I think I referred to this the other day, I don't mean to be comfortable sinning. I think we have, in some sense, to be comfortable as a sinner, because that's what we are, but uncomfortable with the sins we've not yet confessed. So I'm, I'm, I recognize I am a sinner. I am weak, and I've just got to make peace with that. I don't like it. But I'm going to be uncomfortable with the sins I've not yet confessed and that are still working on me. Another thought, which actually is a passage from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. Everyone should see how unselfish you are. The Lord is near. Dismiss all anxiety from your minds. Present your needs to God in every form of prayer and in petitions full of gratitude. Gratitude. Then God's own peace, which is beyond all understanding, will stand guard over your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Rejoice. So I wallow in my failings. I'm not rejoicing. I'm stuck in what I haven't done. I'm not rejoicing. Mother Teresa said, if you're discouraged, it's a sign of pride because it shows you trust in your own powers. And she said, this is a very familiar line, I do not pray for success, I ask for faithfulness. I do not pray for success, I ask for faithfulness. So there's a case where we can pursue success as it is perceived by the world, but the heart of the matter should be to be faithful. a practical suggestion, to read Matthew chapter 6. Prayer, fasting, almsgiving. Do not make a show. Keep your prayers simple. Expect them to be answered. Create a disposition of expecting that they will be answered. Like the, the... centurion who trusted that Jesus was going to heal his servant. Create a disposition of expecting that. Do not make a show. Keep your prayers simple. Expect them to be answered. Store up treasures in heaven. Where your treasure is, there is your heart. Think for a moment on what you're looking forward to today. Right? Maybe going home taking a nap. I don't know, going home. Uh, maybe you're going to go uh, wash your car, polish your golf clubs, uh, put everything in order, um, watch your new TV. I don't know if there's some good games on today, there probably are some. Um, not saying those are bad. but what are your treasures? What are your treasures? And are they are you storing up? Are you preparing for those, those things that endure past this life? Workshops are good. Some of you may have some great carpentry workshops. Order is good. Putting things in order is good. As I suggested, I think, last night, growing corn is good. But the farmer said he's raising boys, not corn. Right? He's focused on forming those boys. He hopes they'll make straight corn, you know, cornrows. But he's raising boys. Where is your treasure? Is it in the. Is it in the formation of your, your boys or in the order of your workshop? Don't worry. Don't be anxious. And as we heard the other day, God takes care of the birds. He's taking care of you. Bishop Barron had a, um, a homily in which he mentioned something that happened when he was a child that I think is very helpful for us. It was helpful for me. <clears throat> he talked about the, a dog that they had. He was probably 10 or 12 And the dog, whenever you moved him toward putting him in the car, he started to shake because he knew he was going to the veterinarian, right? And he didn't want to go. So there was one case where the dog had to get shots. And um, so he went in the car with the dog, and they got there. And sure enough, the dog's on the table shaking, and the doctor wants to give the dog a shot. And he says, Why don't you, Robert, why don't you hold the dog? And so here's the dog suffering, you know, fearing the pain. And, and his memory is of the dog looking up at him like, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? And what was clear to him is that he couldn't explain it to the dog. He doesn't have the language to explain it to the dog. The dog doesn't have the, the language to hear or understand that this is for his own good. And his point was there's something analogous to our suffering and God holding us. That we can keep asking, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? But there are elements of it that we just won't understand. At least not now. At least not now. So if you feel like that dog, try to have Confident that that's what's going on, that you are being held, you're being held close by someone who loves you in a situation that, that's impossible to fully explain in our language. Okay, even more specifically, what should I do? Take this however you want to take it, but I strongly suggest at least monthly confession. I strongly suggest prayer every day at a set time. Maybe you already do that. Whether it's five minutes or 20 minutes, prayer every day at a set time. Fasting. and almsgiving so in a way i'm not not even pretending to to um, offer you something grand and brand new (laughs) right confession prayer every day at a set time fasting and almsgiving I think those will build up, those practices will build up the strength you need to live the faith in such a way that you will have the peace, and you will show forth the peace, whatever comes. Now, what what is it that comes, what's happening today? So I I want to leave you, in a way, with a, a bit of a challenge, too. Certain basic truths are disputed. Truths about men and women. Truths about marriage. Even being critical of some forms of religious practice or beliefs, these can get you fired, marginalized, or in the current term, canceled. So stating a truth about men and women, stating a truth about sexuality, about marriage, stating a truth about certain religious practices, these can get you fired, marginalized, canceled, except if you're critical of the Catholic. (laughs) Then you're good. Then you're welcome. Those with families, especially those with young families, are understandably cautious about stepping out of line. Cautious about, and and I'm not saying we should all run out there and start stating all these truths, right? You have to be prudent about when, where, to whom, that you, you want it to be successful, but you want to be prepared to speak when it's time to speak. But those with young families, especially, are cautious, understandably, because not only they will suffer. I lose my job I mean I, I can't provide for my family so my challenge is to have you think about what concrete mutual support for martyrdom would look like in our society concrete mutual support for martyrdom What would that look like? What could that look like in your life? Are you prepared for it? Are you prepared to help your fellow Catholic and his family if he loses his job for speaking the truth? Do you trust him to do it well? Or will you be among those who say, well, "Why didn't you just keep his head down? It's his own fault." What, what would it take to have confidence, no, 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 he is really living the truth, following his conscience, i got to help him. What does concrete mutual support for martyrdom look like? For St. Ignatius of Antioch, um, he, what he wanted his disciples to have it look like is don't try to keep him from being eaten by the lions. Even if I scream out and say, stop, don't stop. That was his mutual support, you know. Take them to the lions. So there is something, of course, deeply personal about the faith, but the community of believers, the communion of believers, is for our times a particularly indispensable support. The communion of believers is for our times a particularly indispensable support. I don't claim to have the answers to this, to to this challenge, right? But I think it's real. I think it's a real challenge. Am I going to be on my own and my religious community, other Catholics, leave me there abandoned? Or are they going to be with me? And related, am I going to be with this other who's being abandoned. and Remember, like uh, St. John Fisher and St. Thomas More, all their friends, many of their friends, thought they were crazy. Come on, give in. So there's a great history uh, of, of people who didn't provide mutual support for martyrdom. And we do need to be reminded how many people were at the foot of the cross Peter ran away. Are are you, am I prepared to be the one who stays? Am I prepared to be supportive of the one who stays? So when you pray every day, ask God to offer ways to make this communal support real. When you pray, ask God to offer ways to make this communal, mutual support real. A few more specifics and then I'll end. This came from an article by a theologian at um, Sacred Heart Seminary in Detroit. And he exhorted... The, the, those in front of him to receive joy no matter your losses to celebrate holy days celebrate holy days peace days holy days of obligation do something, maybe decorate part of the house or put up pictures celebrate holy days be manly as Christ was manly Steel backbone, compassion, clarity, love. And make beautiful spaces beautiful art. Make beautiful spaces beautiful art. Beautiful spaces, beautiful art does something for the human being. And you may say, I don't feel competent to do that. Okay you know, support someone who is competent to, for that, right? To make beautiful spaces, beautiful art. So receive joy no matter your losses. Celebrate holy days. Be manly as Christ was manly. Make beautiful spaces, beautiful art. Let us pray. Grant us, Lord, we pray, a sincere respect for your gifts, that through the purifying action of your grace, we may be cleansed by the very mysteries we serve. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.